are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in on this special birthday edition. Yes, my birthday. Anyway, we're going to talk NBA coaching circle. Some openings are being filled. The big news yesterday in the NBA is the Golden State Warriors lose a key part of their front office. We will talk about that. And my link to that man, Bob Myers. We're going to talk a little Nuggets heat. We're going to talk about the heat culture, something that I didn't go over yesterday. The one thing that I wanted to point out. And we're also going to talk a little baseball, including the Oakland A's and the questions I have surrounding this team and this franchise. And we'll get to all that momentarily. So first off, yes, birthday today. Going to have family dinner with the family at Olive Garden for, I think, the fifth year in a row. Never been a big, huge birthday guy. I don't announce to everybody it's my birthday week or my birthday month or whatever. Today's my birthday. To to me, it's just another day. Um, I don't feel 48, but, you know, maybe some people will disagree. I, uh, I'm just more excited about Olive Garden tonight, plane tomorrow morning to Las Vegas. How about that? I, um, let's get started in the NBA. And there is the story yesterday was this has been rumored for the last few months. I think a lot of people in the Golden State Warriors front office were well aware uh, that GM Bob Myers was probably going to be stepping down. It's just he's been on the job as GM, I believe, 12 years. Uh, He's arguably the best general manager in all of basketball. He's one of the most respected and well-liked guys. If you've heard him in interviews, the guy is about one of the most thoughtful and insightful GMs you'll ever hear kind of just stays in the background, even though he does do interviews. He is, and I I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast that I have an indirect um, link to Bob Myers. Back in 2001 and 2002, I was the post-game host for UCLA basketball. Bob Myers played on the 1997 UCLA National Championship team. So when I was doing the postgame show those two years for Fox Sports AM 1150 in Los Angeles, which is no longer a station, it's basically moved to five seven. what 570 is now. If you're in the L.A. area, you've probably heard of that sports station. When I was working for them and I was doing UCLA two years in a row, Bob was still around the team. He had gotten into the agency world. And a couple times we had him on the postgame show. I brought him on the postgame show once or twice. And I remember one time during the Pac-12 tournament, which was at Staples Center at that time. It was either in in 01 or 02. I remember... um, specifically remember, I mean, there's moments in your life where you just remember it. I, I can't remember what I had for dinner two days ago, but I could tell you about a conversation I had with Bob Myers and Sean Farnham um, in either 2001 or 2002 after the Pac-12 tournament ended for that day. And the amount of basketball that I learned in a one-hour conversation with those guys was unmatched. And Bob couldn't have been nicer. I don't think Bob would remember my name if you brought it up. I doubt it. Maybe. I mean, he's come across so many people. Would he remember who hosted the UCLA postgame show 21 years ago? Eh, probably not. 
but he might know it from the Jim Rome show and stuff like that. I don't know. So I'm not saying Bob Myers and I are friends. <laughs> don't get that idea. But all I'm saying is when I spoke to him that day and then found out, what, 12 years later, he was now the GM of the Golden State Warriors, I was like, yeah, I could totally see that based on the one-hour conversation I had with him back at during a afterwards of a Pac-12 conference tourney day. He was just an encyclopedia of basketball knowledge, and I just remember him and Sean Farnham, who was also on that team and who's now does uh, a color an- he's a color analyst uh, on ESPN for their college basketball coverage. One of the main guys does a lot of the West Coast games. Does a lot of uh, Gonzaga games, and he's just he's very good as well. Does a lot of studio show stuff is there as well. So both of those guys, former UCLA grads, and um, yeah, I mean now now the story becomes. Does Bob Myers stepping down as GM of the Golden State Warriors mean that this is going to break apart the dynasty? Does this mean that Draymond is less likely to go back to the Warriors? Does it mean that Steve Kerr, with only one year left on a contract, is going to want to re-up without Myers there? Steph is locked in. He's staying there. Clay only has one year left on his deal. Is he more likely to come back or not? with Bob Myers gone because basically the start of this dynasty was when Bob Myers became the GM. He is the architect pretty much behind this whole thing. And he's very well wanted in circles. I don't think he's going to take another GM job this year. My guess is he goes into media, does some podcasting, maybe does some consulting work. I don't think he's done forever in the GM world. I think he's got his sights set on stuff even bigger uh, in the in, in the basketball world, but just throwing in my two cents, one of the nicest, brightest guys I ever met in my days in radio, and that was before, 10 years before he started the dynasty at Golden State. So I wish Bob all the luck in the world, and I wish him all the success and everything in his future endeavors. Now, the other thing going around is some of the coaching vacancies are starting to be filled. But it's not the rotating vacancies that I thought it would be. Nick Nurse did take the Philadelphia 76ers job. So I think Joel Embiid stays now because I don't think Nick Nurse would have signed there if Joel Embiid didn't approve of it. Milwaukee went with Adrian Griffin, who was a former player for the Bucks, but was a Toronto Raptor assistant, I believe, last year. Phoenix Suns haven't named who their head coach is going to be, but all reports are pointing to they're just going to promote from within one of their assistant coaches. And then we don't know yet about Toronto. No, they have, Nobody has replaced Nick Nurse yet in Toronto. So does that mean Monty Williams and Doc Rivers are out of a job? If Phoenix does promote from within, then I believe there's only one job available, and Doc Rivers and Monty Williams don't have a job yet. So one of them might be out of coaching for a year. As for Nick Nurse in Philly, I think it's a good hire. The guy won an NBA championship in 2019. So you need someone with championship experience if you're going to take over that Philly team. I don't know enough about the Phoenix promoting from within. You know, everyone who's got a take already about Adrian Griffin being the new head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks, it's like 
there's nothing you can say. Nobody knows how he's going to be as a head coach. Anybody who's taking a head coaching job in any sport for the first time ever, it's impossible to have this hot take on somebody when he's never coached and been a head coach before. Like, you got to let it play out. When the Lakers signed Darvin Ham last year, I'm like, okay, well, I have no idea how this guy's going to do as a coach. I'm not saying it's a good hire. I'm not saying it's a bad hire. I'm saying it's a hire. I need to see what he can do. And I'd say he did pretty well for himself after a 2-10 and ten start and after being three games under 500 with 11 games to go, and they made the Western Conference Finals. And although they got swept, they were with Denver three of the four games. It was a one-possession game with under a minute to go. So I'd say Darvin Ham kind of showed he can coach in this league. Yes, it helps if you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis on your team, but he could have totally blown it up. They started 2-10. and 10. What if they would have finished 30-52? and 52? You would have said he sucks as a head coach. Guy turned it around, and all the credit to him. So to say Adrian Griffin's going to be a good hire for Milwaukee or a bad hire, I have no idea. Nobody does. So no point in even talking about it. With Nick Nurse, you can say, hey, this guy's been a head coach before. He's won an NBA championship. At least you know what you're getting with him as a coach. He seems to be well-liked by his players, at least when they were winning champion the championship he was. But, you know, your voice kind of loses its luster the longer you stay with the same team, and coaches move on all the time. So we'll see how he does in Philly. But there are reports that Joel Embiid signed off on his hiring, just as Giannis signed off on the Adrian Griffin hiring. They literally went to Giannis, and Giannis spoke with him during the interview process and I guess gave his approval that yes, I will uh I'm fine with him as the coach. So you got to. In this day and age, you might think that's silly. It's like, hey, this guy owns the team. He can do whatever he wants. This is the GM. He can choose whatever coach he wants. Yeah, technically you can, but if it doesn't work out and it goes south, your ass is on the line because you can't fire players. You know? You have to take accountability for what you did. And if you're the GM and you're hiring a new coach, you absolutely need to go to your best player and be like, what do you think? Why don't you meet with them? Let's talk. Let's all sit down. It would just be stupid of you not to. If they didn't do it in Philly or they didn't do it in Milwaukee or even when Rob Palinka brought in Darvin Ham, I got to believe LeBron had a say in Darvin Ham coming to the Lakers. You're not, especially a guy like LeBron who's on the tail end of his career, wants to win another ring, he's not just going to be like, yeah, just hire whoever you want. You know, we'll make it work. No, it's not the way it works in the NBA. You cater to your best players or you're shown the door. So let's talk about the Miami Heat again. And they are just such a fascinating story because this is absolutely an outlier when it comes to NBA playoffs. You just don't see this because in the NBA, essentially it comes down to Superstar players win NBA championships. Very few times does a team you got to have a you got to have at least one superstar, at least one. Nowadays it's usually two or three. But if you look at every NBA champion over the last 30 years, outside of that Pistons team that beat the Lakers, which had good players but nobody you would consider a superstar. The one with, you know, Rip Hamilton, Ben Wallace, Courtney uh, Chauncey Billups, they were just a very good team. They had no superstars. None of those guys, I don't think, are making the Hall of Fame. Pretty much every other team that's won the NBA title since then 
and probably before them had at least one player that's going to the Hall of Fame or isn't already in the Hall of Fame. The Dallas Mavericks are probably the second team, the 2011 Mavericks that won it. Dirk obviously is a Hall of Famer, but no one else on the – oh, wait, Jason Kidd's going to be a Hall of Famer, or Jason Kidd's in the Hall of Fame. So, But that was a team that kind of surprised people because they, they weren't loaded with stars. They had one superstar, and then the team around him was perfectly put together. Now, every team in Dallas Mavericks history since the 2011 team has put and put together with duct tape and horse shit, and that's why they haven't been any good, and they've won one playoff series, two playoff series since 2011. But I digress. Anyway, this Miami Heat team, while Jimmy Butler is probably going to be a Hall of Famer, no one else on this team is, I don't think. And... They are very much in the mold of that Detroit Pistons team. I forget what year it was that they beat the Lakers in the finals four games to one. But I, what they're doing is unheard of, and they're doing it, like I said, from the eighth seed. They won game one on the road of all three series that they played. They've been road warriors. They have the second-best record in the playoffs. You win game series, the, the first series in five games, the second series in six games the third series in seven games. You win as game seven on the road by 19 points. But I think the thing that you probably heard if you watched the game the other night, talking about heat culture and talking about the undrafted players, they only play seven players. With Tyler Hero hurt, the Miami Heat are playing seven players. Four of those players on the Miami Heat team were undrafted. It's amazing to have one guy on your team that's undrafted that plays a good amount of minutes. When four of your top seven players are undrafted players and you're in the NBA Finals as an eight seed, you're doing something right as an organization. Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, Caleb Martin, Duncan Robinson, all undrafted players. They combined for 60 points in Game 2. They combined for 56 in Game 7. And they averaged, these four players averaged 56 points in this series against Boston together. Four guys that on draft day, when what, 60 pick players are picked, nobody picked them in any of their drafts. Like I said, you can, you can find a diamond in the rough in the draft late in the second round. Nikola Jokic, who's arguably the best player in the NBA, was drafted in the second round by the Denver Nuggets. No one even cared. No one knew who he was. It's like, oh, great, another foreign player drafted in the second round. Like, whatever, they're going to stash him overseas. He'll never come to the NBA, and when he does, he'll be a role player. Yeah, I mean, probably some luck involved, but they hit on it. To get one undrafted player on your team to make a 15-man roster in the NBA is like, wow, that's a great story. To have four on one team that all play on an NBA Finals team is just, this is unheard of, what we're seeing here by the Heat. An eight seed that did what they did. I, I, it's, it's crazy. And this is part of that Heat culture, that Heat organization. And now, are you going to be able to keep all of them next year? No, because with the new CBA and the way they're preventing teams from building basically super teams anymore, these guys, when they... I don't know what their contract status is for all four, but um, I highly doubt all four can come back. Unless all of them are under contract for 
through next year. I don't know. But when they are up for money is what I'm saying, is they will now, based on their performance in the playoffs and this season, they absolutely are going to be demanding more money. And at a certain point, an NBA team, just you just can't pay everybody everything they want. And these guys are going to – that's the whole point of becoming a free agent is you have the option to choose where you want to go. And whoever wants to offer you the most money, you can take that or you can take a discounted rate to stay on the current team, whatever the case may be. But these players, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, Caleb Martin, Duncan Robinson, you can make a case that Caleb Martin was the Eastern Conference Finals MVP. Jimmy Butler won that vote 5-4. to four. If one person switches their vote, Caleb Martin would have been the most valuable player of the Eastern Conference Finals, a guy who went undrafted. It's just you don't hear about that very often, and especially on a team that's going to the NBA Finals to have four of them. Unheard of. And finally, I'm sure you know this, but I don't know how much it's been drilled into your heads. The Oakland A's absolutely suck. They are what they're doing this year is is on pace to be literally the worst team in the history of baseball. Right now, before last night's game, as I'm recording this, they are in the bottom of the ninth and tied with the Atlanta Braves one to one. So let's give them a win. Actually, they won last they won two nights ago against Atlanta, who is the second best team in the National League. They when they won that game two nights ago, they improved, improved to 11 and 45 on the season. So let's give them another win. 12 and 45. This team is on pace for literally 35 wins. They're going to go 35 and 127. <laughs> I mean <laughs> That's bad last time I checked. And it's historically bad. Right now, they've been outscored by a, going into last night's game. They've been outscored by 194 runs. The team with the second worst run differential in all of baseball going into last night was the Kansas City Royals. They're a minus 70. The Oakland A's have been outscored by 120 runs more than the second worst team that has been outscored by. And yet, the Oakland A's are just free to move wherever they want and take their crappy-ass team to Vegas, which seemingly is going to happen. Now, I understand why the city of Oakland wouldn't want to keep their team. I'm sure diehard fans want a team in Oakland because they've been going to games since you know the 70s or whatever, since they came over from, what were they? they were the Philadelphia A's, right? And they came over to Oakland. Yes, I'm sure you've got some diehards, but if you've turned on an Oakland A's game this season, it's embarrassing. There's literally 2,500 people in the stands. It's just they shouldn't have a Major League Baseball team. But yet, nothing is happening to them. They're not being penalized. They're not being punished for basically embarrassing the sport with 2,500 fans and getting your ass kicked night in and night out by you know, an average of three to four runs a night. It's just ridiculous. So you look at, yeah, you've lost 45 games. You've been outscored by 194 runs. You're losing by basically four runs a game. That's ridiculous. That's an embarrassment. You're embarrassing the sport. And yet they're going to be able to go to Las Vegas freely and just demand, hey, we're going to build – a $1.5 billion stadium, and we're knocking out the Tropicana. 
here we come with our shitty ass brand of baseball. I don't really know how this stuff works. I don't really understand it on why they're getting a free pass for being so shitty because it's not like they're pouring money into this team. They're the lowest payroll team in all of baseball. So you spend no money on your players. You produce a team that's 11 and 45 through 56 games. That's been outscored by almost 200 runs and is on pace for the worst record in the history of baseball. Why hasn't the commissioner said anything about this? Why hasn't Rob Manfred come out and said they're being penalized or no, they can't. I don't know. I don't know if you can prevent them from moving or whatever the case may be. I don't know if, if, I don't know how the Oakland fans really feel. It's like, I'm sure you don't want to lose your baseball team, but do you want to watch this garbage? You probably just want new ownership. You probably want an owner that wants to win. I'm sure this owner is doing basically a real-life version of the movie Major League, where the owner just said, I'm gutting the team because I want to sell it, so we're going to be shitty, and someone else is going to give us more money. Seemingly, that's what they're doing, but in Major League, those guys rallied around the fact that they were shitty and ended up winning, even though it was fictitious. These guys are just continuing to be crappy. So, I don't know. I I don't understand the the business side behind any of this. I really don't. Doesn't make any sense to me. But we'll continue to to plug along and the Oakland A's will be a franchise the rest of this year. I mean, now you just root for them to be historically bad. I don't want to see them turn it around. They shouldn't be rewarded for anything that they're doing on the field. I want to see them finish 35 and 127 and get outscored by 500 runs on the season. Might as well. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please subscribe in Apple Podcasts. That's the best way you can support the podcast. Also, leave a review. Leave a star rating if you would like. And I'll be back tomorrow with yet another episode. But remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television.